Monumental Sports and Entertainment, along with Pressbox, presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, the 1st of December, 2018. Uh, the bat around is on the air. Sans uh, Mr. Heist. Craig Heist is not in with me today. I'll be flying solo insofar as a host and co-host situation. But I've got the very able producer extraordinaire Kyle Ottenheimer in with me. How are you, Mr. Ottenheimer? I'm uh, doing well. Had a bit of a rocky technology start. Apologies for that. We got it all sorted out and uh, happy to be here. It's a nice Saturday. It's not raining right now, so that's pleasant. Is it supposed to rain later I heard today? it might rain in the afternoon, but uh, fingers crossed that that's just a lie. All righty. Uh, by the way, overnight, big news if you're just waking up on this Saturday morning, uh, the 41st president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, has passed away at the age of 94. Uh, uh, he was kind of a, a, a pretty special president in this country, and we go from now from five uh, living presidents to uh, four. We've got sure. Mr. Carter, uh, Mr. Clinton, uh, Mr. W. Bush, and um, Mr. Obama. So we've got four Indeed. living presidents now, inclu- well, not including right. yes. the actual Correct. president of the United States. Uh, but anyway, um, George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, ironically, uh, Kyle, we signed Mike Elias, an ex-Yale uh, yeah, baseball player. Indeed. And uh, he's now the executive of the Baltimore Orioles, general manager, whatever you want to call him. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was a, also a captain Indeed. of the Yale baseball team. I believe he was a, yeah, I saw a box score from a college game in which he played against Fordham and on the Fordham team right. at center field was Vin Scully. Wow, yeah. that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, how about that? Pretty right? interesting. All right. Well, anyway, our thoughts and. Uh, uh, good wishes and prayers go out to the uh, Bush family Indeed. Uh, and to a nation that mourns the loss of our 41st president. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, a lot of historians chiming in uh, that he was uh, an actually quite incredible president uh, of the United States. Uh, anyway, we will move back into baseball uh, at 1020. Uh, O's prospect, outfield prospect. This was a Glenn Clark get yesterday. Uh, Ryan McKenna is going to join the show, and uh, we'll talk to uh, probably behind Austin Hayes and Yusniel Diaz, uh, the Orioles' best position uh, outfield, outfield prospect. prospect. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle He's, um, might have something to say about his that. bat. Certainly did a lot of talking in the past couple of years. Relatively unheralded, but like he came on and. Has affirmed himself at the Arizona Fall League this year. It, it's it's kind of interesting. I did not see his Arizona Fall League numbers, but th- I believe this he is made a, the All Star team. Yeah, this is kind of interesting though to me at Delmarva, which is Low A, in 2017. Um, Ryan McKenna hit 256 with 331 on base percentage. 
He stepped up to the next level, which yep. is Frederick, which was high A this year, played about two-thirds or 60%, sure. 70% of the season with Frederick, batted three seventy-seven yep. with a four sixty-seven on base percentage and a 1,023 OPS, then went to Bowie, sure. which is double A, and saw his numbers drop precipitously. What I'm interested in is the difference from Delmarva to Frederick that allowed yeah, know, him right? to get a 120-point jump, and then from Frederick to Bowie, what the difference was there uh, in season. Uh, and it'll be interesting so to, to hear what he has to say about in that. In his 17 games in the Arizona Fall League, right. he hit – 344 right, I'm with away. a 474 on base percentage and a 590. 475? 474 and 590 slugging. So he OPS 1064. 1064. Wow. Um, okay. One homer, nine RBIs, two steals, 14 walks, 16 strikeouts, three triples, six yep. doubles. Um, so he's. A guy that is certainly one to watch in the Orioles system. Um, yeah, he's just still just twenty one years old. He'll turn twenty two in February, and he appears to have a good approach. Right, like that's what you like to see. Is is love the love the uh, strikeouts and walks yep. being you know near equal, and neither particularly. I mean, sixteen walks is not bad in that amount of games. Sure. Seventeen games. And 14 strikeouts, not at all horrible Absolutely. either there. Uh, but we'll talk to Ryan McKenna. Um, yesterday, uh, because his show is on opposite our show, uh, Loud Out's co-host, Ryan Spielberg, who played Major League Baseball from 2005 to 2011 with the Colorado Rockies. And, you know, it's interesting, Kyle. I've heard Ryan for the better part of a year, year and a half on XM Radio. Um and always thought that he was kind of a um, moved around a bit, you know. That I, I would have guessed that he had been with three or four major league teams, sure. Kind of moving around, itinerant. But he was with one organization his entire career. Uh, not a, a tremendously lengthy career, but it looks like Ryan Spielberg's got the most out of his career. Uh, reason I invited him on the show was to talk about something that I actually wanted to get him on. The week right after the World Series, gotcha. I heard him talking about a story about his son falling in love with the seven-year-old son, calling Steve Pierce Stretch Pierce during the <laughs> World Series, and how much he liked Stretch Pierce and didn't like Manny Machado. Ha, how about it's that? It's interesting. Now, I have a, a great nephew, uh, my, my nephew Josh's son, Rocco, who loved Manny Machado. You know, I think sure. little kids, and he was three or four, but that name rolls off the tongue. Of course, you know, Manny yeah. Machado, you know, it's a, kind of a cool name. Uh, but it was interesting to hear somebody who's a little bit more grounded in ethical good sportsmanship seeing some problems with Manny Machado. But we talked about a whole host of things with Ryan Spielborgs. Then about 11.05, 11.10 in that neighborhood, uh, Bill Latson of MLB.com will talk to us and we'll uh, preview a little bit of the winter baseball meetings, which will com commence a week from Sunday out in Las Vegas. And then we'll wrap up the show today at about 11.35 with old friend Andy Dolich, who um, I'm not saying Andy is a cynic, but boy, he is not a fan of how the Oakland A's uh, are handling their stadium search. You know, uh, right. people can look up Oakland 
OaklandStadium.com, I believe it is, and see some incredible renderings of the new Howard Terminal Ballpark. Um, but Andy Dolich putting a little cold water on that Interesting. on that flame, saying that, uh, you know the Johnny Mathis song, the 12th of Never? <laughs> That's when this stadium will open. Uh, there are some complications there. Uh, the Oakland A's and their stadium search always seem to have some complications. So that's what we have on the show uh, today uh, as we hit the airwaves. And uh, I appreciate your coming in for Brittany Everett. Absolutely. Craig Heist is away today and made it – and what took him away also made it a little complicated for me to get some guests because we generally try and have an Oriole guest and a Nats guest, you know, because of our locale – and uh, Craig Heist is at Nats Fest, ah. which is not a one-day event. It's a two-day event down there in Washington. Um, I don't know if they're going to be having the same Orioles Fest. Well, it'll be later, Fan oh, Fest, but like, is this the equivalent? Be, it's, a, it's the equivalent, and the Orioles have been odd doing that it they for would, years. But it's odd that the Nats would do it now. Why would they wait until, like, wouldn't you want to have people signed and well, some people I, that in, you can introduce? In favor, in, in speaking of the Nats, by the way, they made some news uh, this past week in wrapping up their catching. Instead of dealing with the Marlins and maybe the Marlins' unrealistic or extremely well, high very good player, asking sure. price for JT Real Muto, the Nats have moved on and now have their catching solidified for about $12 million next year with Kurt Suzuki. Sure. Uh, they signed him, and then yesterday they made a trade for Jan Gomes with the Cleveland Indians and didn't appear to give up an awful lot in that deal. Gomes is a player that I think is underrated. He's a good defensive catcher, that's for sure, and I think I mean, ultimately you're not going to find many plus bats to the position anyway, so... Suzuki's got a pretty good hit tool, but he's not a guy with much power. Yeah, uh, he's been undersized for a catcher, but useful. But, but they've got a they've got a, a duo here that figures Gomes to play maybe ninety five to sure. one hundred and five games, and the rest of them to Kurt Suzuki. Yeah, I have a personal slight animus to toward uh, Jan Gomes. I've had him three <laughs> or four different years on yeah. my fantasy baseball team. Injured quite a bit in the times that I've had him. And I'll tell you, maybe it's just me, but one year I also had Alex Avila, Avila yeah, the yeah, catcher. Yeah, yeah. One, and seriously, I would draft a guy based on his numbers, and then early in a season, I'm going, why is this guy hitting like 190? And then I'd see him play, and the the one comparison between Avila and Gomes, other than the fact that they ended up on my teams. <laughs> was that both were uh, concussion victims ah. from behind the plate. Okay. Uh, multiple times, I believe. I really do believe that that affects sure. the hit tool for a while, yeah, maybe as definitely. much as a season. I'm telling you, Gomes looked like one of the worst hitters in the world the last stop he had on my team, hmm. which was 2017. Sure. Bounced back in 2000. I wanted nothing to do with him <laughs> at the draft in 18. Bounce back with a pretty sure. good season. You yeah. Know, yeah. 16 homers, sure. 60 RBIs, something like that. So, anyway, the Nats have been fairly active this year in acquiring um, Kyle Bar- Baraklov, okay. uh, the right handed pitcher from the uh, Marlins. But there aren't so Signing much. Trevor Rosenthal and uh, these two catchers that they've uh, added. So, now. they've been doing stuff, but yeah. you figure by, by the end of 
all of this by February, you would expect there to have been probably a bigger name addition added to that fold as well, right? Like, it's just a little curious that they would... Well, here's the ba- the basis of this, though. The Orioles have in, had that, in, in again, in all due respect to Peter Angelos is running the team, I think you will see the very real possibility that Oriole Fest uh, next year might, or Fan Fest, as it's called in Baltimore, will be held sometime this time of year, too. And I'll tell you why. The real purpose of this is to sort of rally your fans yeah. to come out, meet some new players, meet some regular players that are on the team. But the main thing is it should be a marketing tool to sell tickets. The Orioles have had it inordinately late, yeah. in late January. Is this the when most teams do it? I would think that they probably do it in early January, just after. But the Orioles have uncharacteristically yeah. the last seven to ten years have been the last team in major league baseball to come out with their ticket pricing never offering fans now you can go to the orioles i'm sure and buy a 50 dollar gift card to give to somebody but that's not the same as picking out four or five games to give to your uncle or right. your, or your dad as a, a holiday present mm-hmm. the orioles have never in the last 10 years had the fans be able to buy tickets in advance yeah. of the season. No, I hear you. So, um, and they appear, frankly, I thought they'd be much more proactive than that area this year. Um, and maybe they will be. Maybe we'll hear in the next week or two that they'll they'll be coming out with pricing um, and season ticket plans and the like. But uh, that should be the number one purpose of having your fan fest is to sell tickets, in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. I hear you on that. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Orioles will hold one this year at some point, I imagine. And uh, uh, I think they've probably got it set for late January, and that also makes the logistics a little bit uh, – listen, I'm not saying it's rough, but if you're trying to get players coming from out of town, they've got to come to Baltimore from California or Texas, Florida – and then they immediately, 10 days later, have to go to spring training. Well, this is an interesting fan fest where the people who would be most in demand aren't probably even players, right? Like people would, Eli- Elias, exactly. if you were to show up and talk. And Sig, and, Ma- Sig right. Meidel. So, so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The Orioles don't have an awful lot to sell this year. And by the way, two less uh, names uh, that will be members of the Baltimore Orioles most likely. Now, the fact that you non-tender someone doesn't mean that you can't attempt to re-sign them later. But the Orioles did non-tender two significant names yesterday, um, and that would be Caleb Joseph, a longtime catcher with the ball club, and Tim Beckham, who was uh, slated through arbitration figures and projections to be a $4.3 million. Certainly more than he's worth. Um, Caleb's interesting. He's not going to hurt the team if he's there, right? You figure... What's the harm in maybe just having Caleb Joseph as your catcher when you're out there in 2019? But at the same time, right? Like I'm not going to argue with any decision this organization makes if they have a reason for something. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna trust them. You I know? think the organization, and I'm, this is not a slap at Dan Duquette or Buck or Brian Graham or mm-hmm. any of those people, but I think the days of just well, Caleb's a good guy, yeah, yeah. and can can we really do a lot better for the money? I think these guys feel that they can always do a little better. And it's maybe that there's an opportunity somewhere for, look, I doubt Caleb Joseph's going to play himself into having trade value, right? Like, are these guys looking for an opportunity to turn that guy into value and something like that? So 
I will um, I, look. I've I've I have not disagreed, and there's nothing that they've done at all that has made me say what Hey, what the hell is going on? I'm gonna right. s- give them the benefit of the doubt until I have reason not to. Yeah, um, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about that as well. Uh, so uh, interesting week for the Orioles. They let go of um, scouting director Gary Rasich. They let go of uh, player development director Brian Graham. So Mike Elias and Sig Meidel. And Graham was the one who had been kind of the interim yes, hot he, show he in and, lieu of Duquette and between Duquette and Elias. Yeah, Elias, yeah. Right? I think there was like sort of a triumvirate with Brady Anderson, Rasich, and Brian Graham, with Graham probably being the lead dog a little bit on that. But uh, the only one still standing of that group is uh, Brady Anderson. But again, before we get our first guest on, who will be Ryan McKenna, uh, Orioles prospect. I do want to take one parting shot at Dan Duquette over the Tim Beckham move, and I'll, I'll sort of give it. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of slap Dan and Buck. To me, the trade of Tobias Myers for Tim Beckham mm-hmm. will end up going down as an absolutely terrible trade, and I'll tell you why. If you think enough of Tim Beckham to give up a fairly decent young arm albeit uh, a diamond in the rough still, in Tobias Myers. The only way that trade made any sense was if you were committed to Tim Beckham as your shortstop for the next three, four years as a replacement for J.J. Hardy. Now, Tim Beckham had an incredible August of 2017, had just as bad as he did good September. It was just awful. It was certainly not a third baseman. But but by the next year, you've kind of muddied up your – you've muddied up any commitment to him as being a meaningful player. Uh, And then, again, the injury, the the hernia thing, you didn't know that that was going to happen. The Machado thing couldn't have helped, right? Like, he's – more a shortstop than he is a third baseman. While he's not perfect as a shortstop, right. he's at least adequate or serviceable where we thought him to be. Um, third baseman, that was terrible. He was terrible. Uh, Absolutely terrible. But his value is tied to his bat. If he was able to hit 270 right. and but again, a little bit of pop, like, you would have ag- forgiven some of the errors. But again, the, the, key, the key sort of criminal sure. activity in all this was was the fact that the manager and the the general manager were on totally opposite pages. Well, that's the story that. of story of that yep. tenure ultimately yep. for yep. for the last couple yep. of years. You don't trade and Tobias Myers had a good 2017, sure. he also had a very good Look, I, 2018. It's something I've harped on before is that the idea that the Orioles will trade people because they're so distant and far away that they yep. don't think it will come back to hurt them but then Josh Haters, the Eduardo Rodriguez is right like these are guys that end up and Zach Davies, yep, yeah. yep, no question about it. All right, we're going to make our contact now with Ryan McKenna, uh, outfielder uh, prospect for the Baltimore Orioles. McKenna, 21 years of, old, uh, of age, uh, will turn 22 in February, born in Grants Pass, Oregon, and uh, went to high school in St. Thomas Aquinas, New Hampshire. So it's kind of interesting that both of the states that he's from, uh, Oregon and New Hampshire, not uh, not really known as places that churn out an awful lot of baseball talent. Um, so we will look forward to talking to Ryan McKenna in just a moment. Again, McKenna coming off of an incredible uh, run at the Arizona Fall League, and he joins us right now, Ryan McKenna. Ryan, thank you for joining us on the Batarounds. Yeah, of course, guys. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good you're, morning. 
You're on with Stan Charles. I go by the nickname Stan the Fan here in Baltimore, and I've been around since way before you were born, so uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to welcome you in, uh, young outfielder with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Ryan and, and Kyle was the one who called you, our producer, and he, he's going to join me mm-hmm. on the microphones too. Just wanted to start out with one thing. I noticed Delmarva, you hit two fifty six with a decent mm-hmm. on-base percentage, three thirty one in 2017. You take mm-hmm. the next step up to A-ball and hit three seventy seven, a full 120 mm-hmm. points higher with an on-base percentage of 136 points higher, 467, with an OPS mm-hmm. of 1,023. Now, that's the good news. Then you only played 17 games at Bowie, but then dipped down to 239. Would you say that the dip there was just – was it was it that the pitching was that much better, or were you just – you hadn't gotten your feet wet uh, because you only played 17 games there? Yeah, Stan, no, that's all, uh, you know, the numbers kind of, I think they project more learning um, than anything throughout my journey. And you can look at a lot of guys' stats and, you know, and and see certain things. And, you know, for me, when I'm, you know, the numbers aren't necessarily as high as I like them. Um, It just means I'm going to be learning for the future and, you know, helping to be able to produce. So, yeah, so I, I think a combination of a couple things. Um, you know, I, I learned uh, a lot about my swing from, you know, the Delmarva full season. Um, first full season in pro ball, learning how to kind of manage energy levels and, you know, being ready to go every day. And and then, uh, you know, about my swing in general, too, so I could take it in the off season and, you know, help my team produce the next year. But, but yeah, I think for Double A, it's the same same kind of situation where you, you learn from you know the experienced guys that are there, and um, you know you take away what you can, and, um, try to learn from every at bat, and get to know the guys there and how they like the pitchers. So is, yeah, it's all a learning process, man. Is there a difference, Ryan, in the fact that from Delmarva seventeen to eighteen in Frederick, that there was you know you started fresh in that season? Is there a difference between going up a level? with an off season in between and going up a level while you're in the midst of the grind of the season? Um, yeah, I would say for sure. It's definitely a little different. Um, you know, you're out of spring training, you're kind of mentally preparing for what you're going to be doing for the whole year. Um, you know, I mean, you never know in this game, um, you know, people get moved around a lot. So, um, but yeah, mid season, you got your routine. Um, it's pretty set forward with your affiliate and then when you're kind of altered from that um, and, and moved into a different group of guys um, and then a, a different club, um, you know, it is a little different that I, I experienced. But, you know, nothing bad. It's all it's all a positive experience, and, you know, it's you can learn from everything. So, Ryan, when you're uh, looking at your stats, obviously you got a taste of Bowie last year, 60-game sample size. People talk about that level as kind of being the – maybe the most talented of all the minor league levels is you have a lot of really the top prospects being groomed and a lot of really good stuff. How much did that level help prepare you for the Arizona Fall League where you excelled? And then what was that like uh, hitting over there? Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, I think it it prepared me very well. Um, You know, just kind of seeing the certain things that they like to do, um, you know, quick pitch, timing. Um, They implemented the the shot clock in the Fall League pretty – enforce that pretty heavily 
Um, you know, so just kind of those little intricate um, things with hitting, I think, really prepared me well. And, you know, just being confident um, in your routine and, and knowing that you got a game plan going forward, um, I think, helps tremendously as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was all good stuff. We're talking with Ryan McKenna, Orioles outfield prospect. Ryan, tell me a little bit about you. I, I looked you, you up, your, your, the notes about you. You're born in Grants. Grants Pass, Oregon, and you went to high school in St. Thomas Aquinas in New Hampshire. Not exactly the states that are known for uh, developing ball players. How long did you live in Oregon, and what took you to New Hampshire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy, uh, you know, coast to coast on you, and it's definitely a little bit different. Um, uh, I, I was born in yeah Grants Pass, Oregon, and I lived there for like two years. I don't really remember it too much. Okay. Um, but my father had a business opportunity, um, in the East coast where he grew up. So he, he brought us back to Maine and, um, uh, we grew up in a small town called Berwick. And then, uh, I went to a, a high school that was close by in, in um, in, uh, Dover, New Hampshire. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of a unique journey, but, uh, yeah, it was good. Tell me a little bit about when the Orioles uh, drafted you. I'm assuming uh, clearly you were drafted by director of scouting Gary Rasich, who just this week lost his job with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, your relationship with Rasich? Um, yeah, I've met Gary a couple times. Uh, you know, all positive stuff that I've interacted with him. You know, he's very supportive of the players, and, you know, I wish him all the best. Um you know, uh, in his, in his journey to come, but yeah, no, it's, it's all good. And, um, you know, I wish him the best, but it was, it was, I was, you know, obviously excited, um, to see my name get called and, you know, I, I'm always going to be thankful for him and, you know, the whole development program for, uh, taking that chance on me. Yeah. It's interesting at your age, you're 21 years of age. I'm wondering, I know you play the game of baseball. How aware are you as a player of the the analytics sort of approaches to improving players and the importance of the, some of those numbers. Yeah, I, I you know I've been doing it my whole life, so it's pretty much all I know. Um, you know, I've been blessed with the ability to play this game at a you know, pretty high level, and um, you know I think just learning by doing it uh, that's been my biggest advocate. You know, you can see the numbers. Um, you know, you can see when you're doing well. Um, but for a hitter, it's more just, you know, how it feels and the mental aspect and having a game plan day in, day out, you know, that'll help your team win a ball game. Um, the little intricacies that go into hitting, um, really being in tune to that and, you know, having the game plan going forward. So I think more than the numbers, um, that's what I look at and focus on. I'm just curious because a couple of players the Orioles traded away this year, Zach Britton to the Yankees mm-hmm. and then um, uh, Kevin Gosman to Atlanta. Both remarked at how those teams were much more involved with analytics and and going over the analytic approaches and the strategies with players and how they can they can assist players. The Orioles were kind of lagging. They now have two of the most kind of you know in tune to that world with Mike Elias and Sig Meidel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, your thoughts on how you think analytics can assist a player yeah i i mean for me i think you can take the numbers and 
you know, apply it to a routine that you do in the cage. You know, if you're, you're kind of, your ground ball rate's a little higher, um, you know, work on trying to hit line drives or, you know, mm-hmm. elevate the ball a little bit um, to just kind of counteract or, you know, just a small example. But, you know, I think that in itself will probably be my biggest application to it. Um, you know, they're probably going to educate us a little bit more on it. You know, I've always just kind of been the guy that just plays and, you know, tries to get on base and score runs, honestly, um, more than the other team. And, you know, that's a, probably one of the biggest numbers that matters. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that's going to help us, you know, a pretty good amount. I know obviously part of this answer is, look, you're excited to be a part of any major league organization, no matter what, and get the opportunity to play in the big leagues. But mm-hmm. what kind of feeling is it for you when this organization is going through this drastic of a change, right? The the change of winds and it's all in the air. You're feeling it. Like, are you excited to now be a part of the new Orioles or even more excited than you were before? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, you know, it's always good to be part of an organization, but yeah, no, the, you know, I'm excited for, um, you know, a different necessary, like a little different perspective on it. Um, you know, it seems like we got some good people at the helm and, you know, I'm really excited to see their vision overplay, like play out in the future. And, um, seems like they've really got a, a good grasp on what they want. And, you know, I am excited. I hope to be one of the main parts of the, uh, the big league organization for them and, you know, help contribute for, uh, years to come. But, um, you know, I, I trust their plan and, you know, I'm excited to see what, uh, what plays out. So. We're talking with Ryan McKenna for just a couple more minutes. Ryan, uh, the type of player you are at just a cursory look at your numbers, it looks like you're a pretty good on-base percentage guy, 362 through your uh, four years in the organization, uh, plus whatever you did. And I know you had a 474 on-base percentage in Arizona, which I didn't include in that. But so on-base percentage, it also looks like your walks and strikeouts are kind of in a line. In other words, you don't strike out an incredible amount of time and you walk a fair amount of time. Has that always been something you were pretty good at? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I think that my plate discipline has you know, evolved and gotten better, but it was kind of an innate thing that I have kind of just taken over when I was even younger. Um, but, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. And, you know, when you're confident at the plate, with even with two strikes, it allows you to, you know, lay off a couple pitches that you might chase um, if you're in a different mindset, um, you know. So I think it just all goes back to the game plan and, you know, really being disciplined and and uh, just trying to help your team win, honestly. You know, that's for me my role yeah. uh, is to get on base. So um, I really got to focus up when the, the time comes and, you know, make sure I grind those good at-bats. Um, because, you know, usually if you're at the top of the lineup, you're going to get quite a few um, day in, day out. So, Tell us a little bit, Ryan, about the rest of your game. Or what kind of defender you are, what position you like to play in the outfield, mm-hmm. arm strength and base running. Yeah, no, it's true. It's Definitely it's good to, um, you know, equip those five tools, right? So, I, yeah, I'm more comfortable in center field. Uh, I just played um, more games in the minor leagues up to this point. Um, that being said, I played right and left in the fall league, and, you know, I had no problem at all. Um, and, you know, the arm strength goes. I think my main job is to, you know, when it's necessary, throw guys out. And, you know, number one priority is hit the cutoff every time. Yep. Um, so it allows them to, 
you know, manipulate the ball where it needs to go. But, you know, I, I feel like I do a pretty good job of that. And uh, I've worked hard to, you know, try to develop that skill. And, you know, base running is another one of those things that you got to, you know, I think trial by fire is the best way is mm-hmm. just learning by, you know, being aggressive and, you know, trying to steal those bases and get the timings of pitchers and, you know, and, and making sure you're prepared going into the game and, you know, being observant and uh, really being a student of the game. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a positive to be good at, uh, the, you know, obviously the five tools of the sport and, you know, being aware of that. Tell me a little bit, and we just got you for a couple more minutes, so you don't have to panic that I'm going to ask you 20 more questions. But I got no, a couple. You're good. I got you're a good, couple though. more for you. Arizona Fall <laughs> League, you had you batted 344, 474 on base, 590 slugging, 1064 OPS. If you if you could, and I know it's a total mixed bag of who's pitching to you at the Arizona Fall League. You might have younger guys. You might have some guys coming back from injury that are older. Would you say the pitching was sort of on the level of Frederick, or was it a little bit higher than that? What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean, all those guys are um, very, very talented. Um, You know, especially they've been deemed, you know, the top prospects, um, you know, for a while and, you know, for good reason. So I would say it's probably closer to the double-A, you know, level. There's a majority, I would say, I thought, um, I don't know exactly the statistics on it, but the majority of the people there I thought were, you know, double A um, and higher. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's what I would say it was. Um, that being said, there's, you know, definitely double A caliber guys that I played in, you know, high this year. So um, yeah, you know, it, it was a mixed bag, like you said, but a lot of talented guys for sure. We're talking to Ryan McKenna. Just a couple more questions for Ryan. Ryan, I've seen you played at the Gulf Coast, Aberdeen, Delmarva, Frederick, and Bowie, now Arizona Fall League. I'm wondering for a young hitter, you must get sort of a different batting coach in your ear each year. Has it been your assessment that all of them are sort of on the same page with what fundamentals they're trying to impart upon you? Because in the old days – when the Orioles were really good in the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s, well, they won their last World Series in 83. But but it seemed like from from the lowest of the minor leagues to the major leagues, they taught things the same way. And I think mm-hmm. the Orioles kind of in the late 80s, 90s, uh, you know, have gotten away from that. It looks like Mike Elias, Sigmeidel want to reinstitute that thing. Can you talk to that? Uh, how many different voices you got over these years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, with, uh, according to, um, or responding to the Mike Elias and his plan, we haven't heard anything yet as players uh, moving forward mm-hmm. with the hitting um, program. But in the past, you know, it's hitting such a wide variety of perspectives, right? You got all different types of, you know, hitters, body types, you know, what they feel for rhythm and timing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's good. I think you can take away a little bit from everybody. Um, I wouldn't say there's a clean cut way to do it. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think for, for me, I've, you know, really kind of honed in on, you know, what works and it's due to good coaching and just picking up little things here and there and, you know, feeling out in the game. And, um, you know, like I won't hit the same as Chris Davis, you know what I mean? Like his job is, 
Well, well, a lot <laughs> a of us, bit, uh, a lot of us in Baltimore, hope that's the case right now. Yeah, Chris, that's is, true, Chris yeah. has struggled. I'm not trying to make fun no. of him, but uh, we're hoping. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah. all good. All right. Yeah, hey. we're hoping. Yeah, you know, he's capable of so many great things that like we've seen in the past. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's just I was, you know, talking about swing types and just kind of how the type of player. It's just you know a little, a little different, and you know, it's all good stuff. A lot of experience in the game from all the coaches I've had. Um, and like I said, you can pick up little things here and there from, you know, every individual that you, you know, come across. So yeah, it's all been positive and a lot of good stuff. Hey, last question I've got for you. I'm asking you, of course, we're, we're rooting for you because you're the name we're hearing a lot about. I'm asking Ryan McKenna to put on his scouts hat for a second. Are there Mm -hmm. two or three players that you've seen in the organization that you can tell us about that you say, hey, this guy's a pretty good player. I think he'll eventually be up there, maybe two guys. Wow, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would say well, we've got a bunch of talented guys in our organization right now and, you know, great quality individuals, I think, as well, which is, you know, speaks to, you know, a lot of the organization and their vision for the, the, the club in the future. Um, but uh, if I had to say, I mean, obviously I've played with, you know, Austin Hayes and Corbin Joseph and, you know, those caliber guys in double A and, you know, it was just fun to watch, you know, how disciplined and, you know, how, how good and experienced um, Austin Hayes is definitely still on the younger side, but yeah. he brings the mental, you know, fortitude and, um, you know, that's just really impressive and fun to watch. So, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of up and coming guys that are, that are really talented and it'll be fun to watch uh, coming up. Hey, we really appreciate the time on this Saturday morning. Where are you for off-season? Are you in New Hampshire? Um, no, I actually moved down to uh, uh, Nokomis, Florida. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely a pleasure always right. to uh, get to talk to you guys. We'll look forward to meeting you this summer at some stop along the Orioles' way. All right? All right. Sounds Thank you, good, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Have a great holiday season for you and your family. That's Ryan McKenna, Orioles prospect, and uh, we're going to take our first time out in a, in a moment, and let me tell you a little bit about the Costas Inn. Costas Inn is located 4100 North Point Boulevard. I usually have my point guy, Craig Heist, here ready to go along with me because that's one of his favorite restaurants, but I can tell you that they've got some incredible specials. I know that Wednesday night is steak night. Uh, thir- Thursday is lobster night. How about okay? that? Tuesday is uh, ribs night, and uh, there's another night in there. I know Friday, uh, Pete puts together a whole host of uh, menu items uh, for specials. They've had Maryland crabs, crab cakes, and more there since 1971. That's 29 plus 18. Is that uh, 20, 29 and 18? It's 47 years. That's a long time. 47 years. The Costas Inn, located 4100 North Point Boulevard. Great place for holiday parties. Uh, and they can also ship crabs to any destination you want. The phone number at the Costas Inn, 410-477-1975. When you stop by or call, tell them Stan the Fan and Craig Heiss sent you. 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs and a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app if you need help. Ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. For the holidays, you're welcome. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the Baltimore can't... Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh... in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on... On my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find jobbing out the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And Stan the Fan back here. I want to remind you, Bill Latson of MLB.com will join us at about 10 after 11. Andy Dulwich uh, joins us at about 11.35. Bill and I will do a little bit of a preview of the uh, upcoming Major League Baseball winter meetings uh, out in Las Vegas that start next weekend, next Sunday, really. Uh, it should be a really fascinating, Kyle, 
this year, those uh, Definitely, yeah. winter meetings. I mean, so many players available, different uh, uh, reasons that teams are trying to move players uh, for financial reasons, yep. flexibility. It's going to be very, very interesting. And then Andy Dolich is on. We always have him on from out in the Bay Area to talk about the uh, just wacky uh, pursuit of a new stadium out there for the Oakland A's. And they've got supposedly the site set, but uh, Andy's a little cynical about whether that will come to pass. Before we uh, play our interview that we recorded yesterday with Ryan Spielborgs of XM Radio, MLB uh, Baseball Radio, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Project Game Day. Uh, it's it's alive a and uh, well at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. That means tomorrow, um, about 2.15 to 2.20 in the afternoon, Glenn Clark will be there by himself for Project Game Day at halftime. And it's uh, you can react live with us on PressBox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime. And then at the end of the game, he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard. Uh, Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports, press boxes, Project Game Day, facebook.com slash Sports. You can also do that right now to join our show, uh, facebook.com slash Sports. Without further ado, let's uh, listen to an interview that I was able to record yesterday with Ryan Spielborgs. And joining us right now on the bat around is former big leaguer Ryan Spielborgs, an outfielder with the Colorado Rockies from way back in uh, – 2005 to 2011, and uh, now a regular member of the media uh, as he does a show on XM Radio, Major League Baseball Channel, and uh, Ryan joins us right now. Ryan, your show, so I get clear, is every Saturday from 10 to 1, you and C.J. Nitkowski are the loud outs, correct? That is correct. Yeah, we do loud outs on Saturday, um, and it's been like, a, it's been a really fun kind of endeavor um xm you know as as i progressed in my broadcasting career i i'd like the challenge of you know doing different stuff and so i asked our um our program director jordan greenberg if if i could host and he was like sure yeah let's see what it sounds like and um as i got better and cj and i got matched up uh you know we got the opportunity as two baseball players just talking baseball and uh, that's what saturday loud outs became and cj and i do co-hosting throughout the week on on various programs on mlb network as well but right but hard um, to pin down yeah hard to pin down exact schedules on the other stuff that you're doing right but our saturday show is is something we're really proud of all right you know it's interesting as we get more and more into the analytical age of baseball um, it, I find it fascinating because I'm 66 years of age. I understand the importance of uh, analytics and the numbers. Math wasn't always my best subject. It seems to be that you're matched with CJ, who has a very analytical um, uh, perspective on baseball, and yet yours might be referred to as more a little bit old school. Would that would I be right in saying that? Um. A little bit, yeah, kind of, but I'm I'm really engrossed in the advanced analytics. And okay. uh, CJ is probably 
probably I'm probably more engrossed in advanced analytics than CJ is. CJ is a lot more old school than I am. I like I, I, I like I, I said, CJ is the guy who's old school. Now it's interesting because I I've perceived him. You sort of speak more my language when I hear the two of you talk. Yeah, I mean, look, the some of the stuff will make your eyes water, mm-hmm. gloss over, and, and that's not the point of of looking at those metrics or numbers. It's it's to get a better picture of what an athlete's doing, and what a player is doing. You know, for example, um, when we start looking at like batting average and home runs and RBIs, um, some people don't look at those values the exact same way. For example, like if you hit two forty, um, but but had a very high slugging percentage and uh, and a very high on-base percentage, but generally hit 240, that's still really good, you know, in 2018 versus versus if you hit 300, had a lower on-base percentage and a very low slugging. And, and the whole idea in baseball is to try to create runs and trying to create opportunities to score. And, like, that's what it's boiling down to is that there's different ways to measure players uh, versus, you know, the, the traditional means of, if a guy doesn't hit 300 with 15 home runs and 100 RBIs, then he's not a good player. Uh, where we can actually say, well, that's not 100% accurate. You know, this can bring a lot more to the table. There's a way to measure base running. There's a way to measure uh, fielding, which I don't, I don't agree with right now. But they're trying to, and, and I think that part is really cool because our eyes tell us one thing, and usually what our eyes tell us is is pretty accurate. I mean. Like I, I, you and I are not going to sit here and have an argument about whether Mike Trout's a great player. Like, right? We don't need to look at his numbers to prove and like, dude, that guy's really good. He's the best player in baseball. Um, but when it becomes a player like a Freddie Galvis, or if it's a player um, that you may not, you know, you may not watch every single day, uh, and that, that you learn to appreciate, then then you can start saying, well, look, there's other means for why this guy's so valuable. If you're not watching every single day. You know, don't just look at the box score. There's other things this player is capable of doing. Um, and I like that aspect. I, like, and from my position as being a former, really like a fourth outfielder, um, I I like that there's a way to assess a value to a player that's it's hard to see um, beyond our eyesight. You know, you played from 2005 to 2011, and I almost think that squeezes in just before analytics really became as prominent as they are today. Would that be fair to say, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, there's the game's changed. There's no question. Uh, the game has changed in, in a very short period of time. And, um, you know, like, I just think when, when, when I'm watching the game now and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the athlete that's playing, uh, I, I always have to remind myself, and I was like, you know, this game's really hard, and the game's evolving, and the way that people are measuring players is different. Um, you know, like, I, I most old-school players would love to be measured in, in today's game. Um, you know, and, and I think any time that, like, you know, when we're looking at how our games progress, it's it's progressed in because of the people that came before the game. And, um, you know, like, I... I would love to play in 2018, just like many other mm-hmm. guys would. But I learned, you know, and I got my opportunities given by the people and generation before me. So I can never, you know, try to look past how important my group was to the new group as well. 
We're talking with Ryan Spielborgs. He's on XM Radio, the Major League Baseball station. He does loud outs every Saturday from 10 to 1. Um, Ryan, the reason I tracked you down about three, three and a half weeks ago is I heard about a five-minute riff that you went on. It wasn't a rant, but I call it a little bit of a riff about your son, who is how old? Seven years old, I believe? Yeah, he's seven years old. And you were talking about how him watching the World Series this year, he loved stretch Steve Pierce, and he didn't <laughs> like Manny Machado. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what was so so impressed you with that dialogue that the two of you got into? Because I found it kind of fascinating. Yeah, so watching the whole postseason with my son was was really great. I mean, he's really, truly fallen in love with the game. And, you know, having played this game and being a broadcaster um, for the Colorado Rockies, I'm around baseball a lot. And I never forced that game to him. He, he actually just kind of stumbled upon it on his own. And uh, I gave him that distance. I gave him the separation of trying to be, you know, I, I gave him information when he wanted it. Um, but I really was hoping that I wasn't going to force feed him baseball and that he would learn to like fall in love with the game. And he did. And so as he was watching different games and he was watching the whole playoff series, he was starting to pick up on traits that he liked, mm-hmm. he liked how um, some guys, they seemed, you know, for, for a seven year old kid to be able to look at a player and judge them on the actions on the field, you know, there was no, uh, he doesn't know anything about Steve Pierce or where he's from. He doesn't know anything about Manny Machado where he's from. He's just watching them play the game, and seeing seeing him basically, you know, drag his foot across the bag on Jesus Aguilar. Um, and, and our family, like we, we try to do everything with integrity, and we try to teach kids how to play the game the right way and how to be a good teammate. That's that's the first and foremost. That's right. That's the only thing I actually really care about is, is good sportsmanship. Yep. Be a good teammate, and that, that means playing the game right. And I didn't have to say a word. I didn't have to say anything. He saw this. He saw the reaction of Jesus Aguilar, and he immediately asked me, he goes, why would Manny Machado do that? Right. And I had no response. Right. Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't respond properly because I didn't, I didn't know. I, I couldn't answer it. And so he had this just immediate negative reaction to a play that he saw from an athlete. Um, that's considered a superstar, and it bothered him. And on the other side, he was watching this guy, Steve Pierce, and he liked how he was how he played the game. He liked that, obviously, the results are, are obviously important. When a guy hits the home run, it's great. Um, but he he called him stretch, and he liked how he played first base and how he'd run in from, from the field after in out, and he'd give somebody a high five, and it seemed like he was always doing that. And he was always smiling and grinding away. And it was a stark contrast to how he felt about Machado. And I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's something that, that has stuck with me forever is Joe DiMaggio's quote. You know, like, I never know when a kid is watching me for the first time and I want to give him my best effort. That's and, a, it, it's a really neat story. And uh, I remember you ended it with the fact that he couldn't stay up late enough to watch the last game of the series, the one Steve Pierce hit two home runs in. You told him that, and then he said, did he win the MVP? And you said, yes, he did. And uh, yeah. his reaction to that was kind of priceless, too. No question. It was priceless because uh, so many times in our game, in our sport, 
um, it's not the best player on the field that gets rewarded. You know, like there's so many names in our sport, uh, people that were the 25th man on the roster um, that was able to do something significant. And um, to do it in the World Series like Steve did, and not saying that Steve's the 25th man, but he was at points in his career. Yep. Uh, for him to be that guy, to be hitting third in the middle of the Red Sox lineup, um, for and for a young kid to see that, uh, where it wasn't the superstar hitting in the middle of the lineup that became the MVP, it was a really nice, friendly reminder that baseball is awesome. And those opportunities are far and rare. And when guys sees them, it's magical. And that's, you know, that's how my son ended up uh, loving Steve Pearson more than, you know, by the end of that World Series. I appreciate your, your, your telling, retelling that story. Hey, we've got a few more minutes with you. I was hoping I could sort of run through a few topics. All right. Sure, let's go for it. Uh, we were talking about Steve Pierce and Manny Machado in the World Series. You got to play in the World Series in 2007. wasn't the way you wanted it at the end. Uh, the Boston Red Sox swept you four games to none. But I'm, I was more intrigued in going back and remembering how how the Rockies made it to that World Series, where I think you went 13 and one plus one mm-hmm. the playoff game, so you went 14 and one to get into playing in the postseason. What was that like? Your team was as late as September 15th, was just 76 and 72. That was an, it was an amazing, magical run. Uh, something that, that, you know, not a lot of people gave us credit for, but if you look back to that year, I mean, we had some, we had some really impressive moments. We had the best record in baseball, I think from June on, um, and, and we, we were slowly getting better and better. And we had guys on the team that, because once you start seeing and, and, and see, that's the problem that, you know, that most organizations have when you have a young group of core talented players is that obviously they're good. And if they're playing every day, they're, they're really good. Um, but there's a separator between learning how to win and just putting up numbers. And when, certain players start seeing guys in situations coming through and it becomes consistent. Um, you kind of have this confidence in your teammate. That's different than just going out there and playing for yourself. And when the, the group for me, it was a, uh, it was just kind of a rallying point where we, we finally kind of realized like, dude, that's Matt holiday right there. And that, that guy right there is Troy Tulowitzki. He's going to win a gold club or right. maybe rookie of the year. That guy at first base, that's the future hall of famer. That's Todd Helton. That guy's really good. Oh, and by the way, that guy in right field, Brad Hopp, he's really good. And he, you kind of start to like look around the room, and because you know that, that group didn't have the same amount of success up until like a certain point, and then it all kind of galvanized, and you're looking at each other you're like, hey, wait a second, we're good. Like we're actually really good at baseball. Yeah. And it turned from putting up numbers to, I don't care how we do it. We're going to win today. And when you start playing and you hear it, it's a cliche, but it doesn't happen. It's rare. Um, Every year there's one team that truly believes in it. When you start hearing the cliche, I'm playing for one another. I believe in my teammate. I'm just trying to do whatever I can to help the team win. That's telling you that the group's coming together. And for that magical month, that's all you heard coming out of our clubhouse. And it wasn't fake. It was legitimate. People trusted the guy to his left and right. And he played for one another. And that, that was one of the best moments I've ever had in my entire baseball career. 
Um, we're all friends still because it's unique. It doesn't happen. It's like your senior year of high school with a group of buddies. They're, they're yours forever. And uh, the only reason why you have that special relationship is because you won together and because you won together playing for each other. And so um, that's the best way to describe what happened. The skipper, Clint Hurdle, any, no surprises there then that he's had this ongoing success in Pittsburgh? Yeah, there's no, there's no surprise there. Clint, Clint is a leader of men. He's always been, um, you know, it was unfortunate how his tenure ended in, in Colorado, but most of that was our fault. It was, it was our, the players that uh, failed to play to that level of excellence and, and play as a team. And uh, after Clint got fired from the Rockies in 2009, uh, you know, to a man, we all looked at each other and we're like, we got our guy fired. And um, as a group, we rallied. And we also, you know, anytime you influx some good young talent, like we ended up calling Carlos Gonzalez and this kid Ian Stewart, um, and they immediately impacted at the major league level, um, you'll take off. But Hurdle was unique in that he was um, he's very loud and uh, he, he just he he's, he seems to show his confidence in you, uh, unlike other other managers. And I know there's a lot that he learned in Colorado that he took over to Pittsburgh to be the manager that he is. But he's truly you know, one of my favorite managers I've ever had. Just a couple more minutes with you, and then I'll let you go. And I appreciate it. We're talking to a former Major League outfielder, Ryan Spielborgs, now the host of Loud Outs on XM MLB Radio. Uh, Ryan, Todd Helton, this is his first year of eligibility to go into the Hall of Fame. Here in Baltimore, I wasn't friendly with Mike Mussina, but to me, Mike Mussina was everything I thought a first ballot Hall of Famer looked like and smelled like. Is Todd Helton a first ballot Hall of Famer in your estimation? No, he, he won't be, and that's because of the, the course, course field bias against it and playing at that level. Uh, at altitude, uh, he'll get in. He deserves mm-hmm. to get in. He's earned it. He's a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Uh, first ballot, no. It's just, it's unfortunate because uh, if you're watching Larry Walker's career, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's really just remove, and that's that's the argument too. You know, for the Rockies, from you know '93 until 2006 or 2005 when they put the humidor in. There's no question it was a great place to hit, mm-hmm. and some of those numbers are are inflated. But when you look at Walker and Helton specifically, and you look at their on base percentage on the road and OPS and uh, home road splits, these guys their numbers on the road in their career are Hall of Fame numbers. You could actually remove the stats that these guys had at, at Coors Field, and they're still putting up Hall of Fame numbers. Um, they should be they should be Hall of Famers. You know, I, I think a first ballot. I would love to see that for a guy like Helton, but he never got to 3,000 hits and he never had 500 homers. Um, but it doesn't matter to me. And in my eyes, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I also know, um, you know, realistically in trying to be objective about it, that uh, there's a bias against Coors Field and, and it's a fight that these guys have to deal with. That's unlike a PED bias, which is just so remarkable. And it's the same thing. Look, I believe Mike Messina should be in the Hall of Fame. I believe Fred McGriff should be in the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame. Uh, for whatever reason, they're getting dinged. Um, it's unfortunate because those guys are truly great players. And when you play the game clean and you play it the right way and you play it, you know, for the right intentions uh, and you don't get rewarded right away because you're part of an era that's tainted, 
um, that that stinks. It really does. It's unfortunate for that for those players. Um, but by all means, those guys, McGriff will be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Messina is going to be in there hopefully this year. And I expect to see Helton and Walker wearing a Rockies hat in Cooperstown. I wanted to throw you a little curveball with my last question and topic. And it's a pitcher who was on your 2017 a seven team, the Rockies. He was four and four that year. He was just getting his career underway. Ubaldo Jimenez. Mm-hmm. How great was he when you first saw him those first couple years? And what do you think happened to his career? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Ubaldo and I were teammates all through the minor leagues too. So I, I've seen Ubaldo since he was a puppy. And Ubaldo just had immense talent. You know, he was a guy that that when he was at his best, the, the year he had in 2010, the first half, um, Kaguchan is one of the best first halves in yeah. Major League Baseball history. Like, legitimately, if you look at those numbers and what he was able to accomplish, he had arguably the best first half as a starting pitcher, especially given that Coors Field was his home mm-hmm. uh, in Major League history. Uh, for me, with Ubaldo, you know, like... I think when whenever you see arm injuries occur and Ubaldo had a lot of moving parts with his mechanics, um, once those things kind of get out of out of sync, uh, it can derail your 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 career. And you know when you're when you're a guy when you're young and you're coming up uh, and you're touching 100 miles an hour and you count on movement, you have a great slider, and then down the road you don't have that and you have to you know, rely on command and deception uh, and, and and late movement and you don't have those. It's it's hard to pitch, and once that happens, and you start losing the most important aspect, which is confidence, um, then you get that snowball effect, and it's unfortunate. You know, Ubaldo, I, I, I thought you know I, I, I wanted him to do really well when he got traded to Cleveland. I wanted him to do really well when he went to Baltimore. Yeah, um, and and it didn't happen those ways. But uh, as a teammate, Ubaldo was great, awesome teammate, awesome guy. Um, but like I said, his early career with the Rockies was truly remarkable in his 2010 season. Uh, looking back up, like that is that is one worth reflecting on. He's been away from the game now for a full season. Would you think he'd be an interesting guy for some team, like say the Mets, Mickey Calloway, who worked with him with some great success in Cleveland? Would he be worth a shot? Uh, I mean, every player is worth a shot. Uh, I, you know, like I never give up on anybody as long as he's, as long as I've been around this game, like if a guy has a desire to play and has passion to, to working hard, um, I never give up on anybody, you know, like, of course I, I would take Ubaldo in a heartbeat if he wanted to come to wherever he was or, or wherever I was, I, I would take him in a heartbeat. Um, but also understanding like in order to get where you want to get, uh, you have to work your tail off and be passionate about it. And, um, you know, if that's something that Ubaldo is ready to do and he's healthy, um, of course, I, any anything is interesting when a player is willing to put the effort into it. Ryan, appreciate the time. One thing that comes through when you talk baseball on loud outs or any of the other times I hear you is that you still have a passion for the game. I appreciate it a great deal. Thank you. That's a, that's a very nice compliment. I, I, I really do appreciate you saying that. All right, and... Thanks for sharing this story about your son. What's his first name? Yeah, that's great. Tatum. Tatum. All right. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. You got it. My pleasure. All right. There you have it. Ryan Spielborgs of Loud Outs on XM Radio.
And we will be back with a little more on today's program on the Battle Round. And we will be back with more in just a moment. We're going to make our connection with our friend Bill Latson of MLB.com. But first, I want to tell you, or really I want to pose you a question to you. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? Well, with Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all of your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. They're perfect for tailgating, birthdays, officer holiday parties. That's Chick-fil-A reheatable chilled nugget trays. But if you want Chick-fil-A on Sundays, you better act today. That's Saturday because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. All right. Bill Latson is ready to go, and I'm sure he's raring to go. Uh, let's talk to the very fine columnist of MLB.com, and that is maybe the number one Yankees fan we know is Bill Latson. Bill, how are you? Doing great, Stan. Thanks for having me. Hey, really appreciate your being on with us. And, and Bill, uh, Craig Heist and you have been friends for probably, what, like about 13, 14 years now, I'm guessing? That is correct. All right. Uh, I've known a little bit about your uh, your kidney situation, uh, but before we talk a little baseball, uh, we want to get this out there in the um, in the stratosphere of people that are listening who might be able to be of assistance to you. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about what your battles are and what you need out of a donor. Well, I need a uh, kidney transplant. Uh, I've been needing it since 2012. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I just want to say I do not feel sorry for myself. As you know, I yep. I'm, I keep living, and I'm doing what I'm doing right now, and I'm having fun. I just want to I just want to interject for one second. Bill has never once said, hey, when I come on this time, can we talk a little bit about this? So I just want to, you've never once, but I did read a Facebook post, and it was the first time I was hit with the fact that you actually need a transplant. I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable about that because I know you do dialysis, but go on with uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, um, I, I've needed a kidney transplant since 2012, and uh, my blood type is O negative, which is a rare blood type, yep. believe it or not. And, uh, you know, um, I'm just looking, um, and, and that's all I can say. Um, are you on the rolls with the, the National Kidney Foundation? I mean, do they have you on a watch list? Yes, I'm on the list. Okay. I am on the list, and, uh, and, and that's about it. I just have to keep waiting, and, uh, you know, and that's about it. But the, the bottom line is i got to have a positive attitude, which I do, Yep. and that's, and, and that's the bottom line. Tell tell me a little bit. For example, are you going to be able to travel to the the winter meetings in Las Vegas uh, this year? No, I will not. It has nothing to do with uh, my kidney issue. Okay, it's just that uh, you know I'm just not going. So that's about it. Okay, I do know that you were able to accomplish a lot of what you do interview wise uh, on the phone. But can you tell me uh, does this inhibit your ability to travel? Not at all. Um, okay. The thing I do is, uh, you know, like if I want to go somewhere, yep. I call people out of the country, I mean, around, uh, you know, around the world, and I tell them, hey, um, you know, I need uh, dialysis, for example. Right. I got to do, I got to give them advance notice, make sure that the people I go to in New York 
give them all the information, and once that happens, I have dialysis. I mean, I mean, I mean I've been doing that really since uh, 2013. And yeah, and just to educate easy. myself, how often do you need dialysis? Is it a daily three times thing? A three times a week. Okay. Yes, three all times right. a week. Uh, for uh, four hours. And, Four hours a day. And one other question, the type O negative blood that you are, wh- where is that on the scheme of like, in other words, percentages of uh, of who has type O negative? It's rare. It's rare, uh, Stan. Um, from what I understand, not many people have O negative blood. Okay. So uh, the only way I can get it quickly right. is through relatives, and I don't have relatives who can help me. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try when we can to get the word out there, okay? And you never know when when the miracles do to come your way, you never know where it'll come from. You're right about that. All I right. appreciate that, Sam. All right. Well, you're a good friend. You've been a good friend of Craig's for a long time. We kid around a lot, a lot about it, but he's he's a good person. I know he's in your corner, and you got somebody else in your corner here. Um, I appreciate that. All right. Bill Latson is with us. Now we'll flip back to talk a little bit about baseball. Uh, I think it's too bad you're not going to be able to get to Las Vegas. I think this got a chance to be one of the most active and interesting winter baseball meetings in terms of player movement maybe ever. You Do you see it that way? Yes. Uh, it seems like uh, people, um, I mean, teams are going younger. They really don't want to spend money on free agency. They'd rather make a trade instead. Yep. And, uh, you know, um, there's one trade that it looks like is going to happen, and we talk about the Mets regarding Robinson Cano. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, Stan, to be honest with you, because, you know, um, I think Robinson Cano is past his prime. Yep. And, uh, you know, he has, what, four uh, four, four years Four more left. years left, yep. And... You know, you just don't know, you know, how productive he can be. Now, I'm a Jay Bruce fan, believe it or not. Right. And, and I feel Jay Bruce has finally learned how to hit. And I, and I think wherever he goes, if he goes to Seattle, he's going to do a fine job. I, I think what's so fascinating about the player movement is the creativity in it, that that the huge contracts call upon somebody to have amazing creativity so jerry depoto's trying to foist upon someone else what the 125 million dollars or 120 million left on cano's contract so you have to give that team something of value for them to take that on and the piece that they're talking about is arguably last year's best relief pitcher in baseball einer diaz yeah not einer diaz what's his edwin diaz yeah Yes, Edwin Diaz. Yep. And, and and I'll tell you this, though. Uh, this was reported yesterday that the Seattle Mariners are going to um, take on $20 million of that contract. Right. I mean, it's not like the Mets are going to pay the whole thing. Right. So, um, but they're, I, but they're taking on, but the Mariners will take on Bruce's contract, which has, what what left on that? Is that like $58 three million? Three more years. Of like about $50 million? Correct. Correct. So they're and, taking uh, on fifty and they're paying twenty. So for seventy million, and and uh, Edwin Diaz, they're getting they're saving themselves about forty to forty five million. It sounds like. Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm surprised that Seattle's doing what they're doing because this is a team 
that relied heavily on analytics. Right. And and so far, since Gary DePaul has been there, it has been working. So they they have to find a better way to get it working again. And uh, how they do that, you know, I have uh, no idea. But I mean, I think they had to add some old school baseball into this as well because the new school is not working. So what I found fascinating is they trade Dia. I mean, the deal has not gone through yet, and I do want to ask you about that because it seemed like it's on the verge of going through for two days, which always makes me wonder what the hell the holdup is. But I do want to ask you, it seemed very odd to me that the Mariners will trade Diaz in this deal and then they turn around before that deal, the ink's even dry on that deal, uh, and they traded Alex Colomay yesterday, who was only slotted to make $7 million this year. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it proves, um, you know, that they, this is a teardown. Yeah, a total teardown. Uh, yeah. yeah, yes. And uh, it's going to be interesting what they do with people like D. Gordon. Because D. Gordon has, you know, uh, a few years left on his contract. Oh, I think D. Gordon could be gone. Oh, yeah, no question about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how things work out. And uh, hopefully Jerry DePoto will have a new philosophy when it comes to this team because uh, since he's been there, it hasn't been working. Let's look at the Nationals, a team you covered for several years. Uh, Mike mm-hmm. Rizzo has struck a couple times this offseason with yes. uh, the Bryce Harper situation ha- hovering out there, and we don't know yet whether he, in fact, will leave Washington. We can all have our opinions. Uh, but so far, they've added um, Kyle Barraclough, the clo- you know the uh, late-inning uh, relief pitcher, who I think was an excellent pickup. They added Trevor Rosenthal, and now they've added two catchers in uh, Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes, and they really haven't had to give up much. Well, I'm going to tell you something uh, regarding the catchers. Yeah. I think they're great deals. Uh, yeah, I do I think, too. I, I think those two guys, Jan Gomes and uh, Kurt Suzuki, are far better yeah. than what they've had the last two years. Yeah. Because to me... And, and, you know, as you know, Craig and I have argued over this. Matt Wieters looks like he's done. Yeah, he really and, does, uh, yep. You know, I don't know how they tolerated his, him being on the roster those last two years because he was terrible. Off, not only offensively, but defensively as well. So um, I think this, this is a far better improvement than what they've had uh, in uh, Wieters. Where where do you how do you line up on the Harper thing? Do you think they're actually in the game, or do you think that they that it's just sort of a it's just out there in the um, stratosphere that they're in the game? Um, I think uh, it's uh, I think they're still in the game. There's no question about it. But I think, as you know, you can't. Uh, he wasn't offered like an opt out, as you know, right? And, you know, and with Boris' clients, that's the key. you got to get at least some kind of opt-out. And, uh, you know, and I, and I don't see him um, getting, uh, you know, uh, any kind of contract where he'll be paid after he, he's retired. Right. You know, which a lot of the Nationals players have been doing. Right. So 
I, I don't see that happening. I, I see Bryce Harper trying to get all his money at once. I think if you can settle that stuff, I can see him going back, going back to uh, the Nationals. Let's say that – let's just flip the other side of that coin, though. If it's not going to be the Nationals, who do you think the serious players for Bryce Harper would be? I, I've thought all along that the Giants made a lot of sense to me, but now that I see that they seem to be embarking upon a, a teardown as well, I'm not so sure of that. And now I think maybe St. Louis is a good fit for Bryce Harper. I wouldn't call the Giants a teardown, per se. Okay. Because, you know, like they, they let people go like Hunter Strickland, Hunter Pence. Those guys are past their front. Right, they're not as productive as they were when they were winning all those championships. So I, I wouldn't call that a teardown. They need to get younger, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't exactly consider that uh, rebuilding. But then again, I think Bryce Harper would be crazy to go to San Francisco because that's a big ballpark, and. Uh, you know, yes, he's he's hit the you know the ocean, the McCovey Cove, and all that yep. over the years. But uh, I, I don't see him going to San Francisco. All right, so um, where do you where do you see the right fit for Bryce Harper? Well, believe it or not, I think the right fit for Bryce Harper. Uh, besides that, I think it's the Nationals number one. Okay, I think number two, I think the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers are thinking they need. More hitting than I realized, man. I mean, yes, they were in the World Series, but man, yeah, their their lineup the last two months of the season was really not that great. It really no, no, no. I I think the Dodgers needed more than anything else, but I I think uh, I would say the Dodgers number one for sure. So let's let's presuppose that you're right on the Dodgers. Does that make it imperative that they do try and strike some type of deal? With a team like the Indians to move Puig? Oh yeah, no question about it. But but that has to come after, you know, if, if they sign Bryce Harper, that has to come after that, right? So um, no, no question about it. So uh, we got to wait and see. And also, you know, you know, all those negotiations and talks are going to happen in the, in in a week and a half. We'll see what happens. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com, and we're previewing, doing a little preview of the winter baseball meetings. Um, a lot of interesting pitching names. You know, in other words, normally at this time of year, Bill, we're talking about the free agent guys, Hap Corbin, and um, and um, Hap Corbin, and who's the? Uh, there's another free agent guy, uh, Cor- Corbin Hap, and uh, there's one other guy. But anyway. The, the the names that are out there, though, because of the huge contracts and teams wanting to gain flexibility in payroll, Keuchel was the third guy I was thinking about. They're all right. free agents, but Madison Bumgarner, Zach Granke, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, there are really some top interesting names that are available via trade this time around. I think you'll see those trades first before you see the free agency. Now, with Corbin, yeah, I will say that I think Corbin will sign quickly. Do you think he's he a Yankee? Like a, do you think he's a Yankee, or do you think somebody else could get in there? I think someone could get in there, but the way uh, I understand at his wedding, yeah, his, his brother, his brother, his brother had, had put up put on a Yankee cap. 
during his best man speech. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what does that tell you? That tells you that, oh, okay, this guy wants to be a Yankee for sure. Yeah, I'd, so, be, uh, I'd be smiling at that story if I was Brian Cashman. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, I mean, as you know, uh, Corbin has been going around taking a tour on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, he's not going back to the Diamondbacks. So, I mean, I, I you know, I got to say, the Yankees got to be on top of the list. How many, getting to the Yankees, how many of these starting pitchers via either trade or free agency, how many do you think they need to come up with beyond the, the three that they have right now, which, the, and I'm not even including Sabathia. They've got Tanaka, they've got... Um, They've got Severino, and who did they just pick up last week? Um, yeah, it was uh, oh, man. Paxton, pa- James Paxton. Paxton. So they've got right. three really solid positions of the ro- the rotation. You figure uh, Sabathia is like a 5-6 at this point. They need two more starters, don't they? I totally agree with you. They, yeah. they need that because, you know, I think if they go into the season with what they have now, right. It's like what I told you last year, one and done when it comes to the postseason. So wouldn't and I was they proved right? Wouldn't they be good to sign Corbin and then try and trade for say Bauer? It would be good, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Jay uh, Jay Happ there too. Okay, because Jay Happ did a great job for them. He did. I understand ten teams are chasing him right now. Yes, Happ. and and also too, you know, another key the Yankees have to do. You know, they got to try to trade Sonny Gray. Right, right. So they still stuck with him right now. So if they could do that, uh, we got to wait and see. Well, it's sure shaping up as a very, very interesting uh, offseason here in Major League Baseball. I haven't had the chance to talk to you since the Orioles assigned Mike Elias and brought in his uh, top analytics person, Sig uh, Meidel. Uh, your thoughts on that, Bill? I think uh, it was a great move. What surprised me is that the Orioles are getting into analytics and they never were that before. And that's surprising considering Dan Duquette's record with the Expos finding all those great prospects. Yep. And relying, I thought they were relying on analytics back then, but uh, apparently not. Well, it's, and, it's uh, very interesting, Bill. You had a... Uh, you had an octogenarian in Peter Angelos who's 89 years old. He's of failing health. It's not that big a surprise that he never saw the benefits of the international scouting expenditure or the analytics expenditure. And now you've got younger eyeballs in operations that are learning from their dad's mistakes and also learning from listening to people in the game and it's, I find this one of the more optimistic times I've had as an Oriole fan in a long time. It's not going to be overnight, but I'm thinking by 2021-22, we're starting to be a real competitive team again, and we've got a real nice window there, six or eight years there. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a positive transition, to be honest with you. And uh, I would say to Orioles fans, be patient. Yep. You got to rely on your minor league system. And, you know, as you know, they didn't have much of one. So, so you know, he's going to improve that, obviously. And I think it's going to be positive. Nothing but positivity there. Let me flip back to the New York Mets for a minute. 
they, they've had an, an incredibly interesting offseason in terms of their front office in taking the almost almost unprecedented uh, angle of hiring an ex-agent, uh, Brady, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, uh, and, and then tying him to one of the the leading analytics people, this guy Guthridge that they brought in, and then bringing in, actually stealing somebody from the Boston Red Sox, which I thought was pretty hard to do. They brought Allard in Bear. Allard Bear. Uh, so they've had a very interesting season. And if I were a Mets fan, I'd be pretty optimistic with Van Wagenen's first couple moves. Oh, there's no question about it. And, you know, like, I understand why he's doing what he's doing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, Robinson Cano as well. So, I mean, I even think, you know, they need bullpen people as well. So I think uh, I like what Brody Van Wagenen is trying to do. And uh, I think there'll be nothing but uh, positive results, uh, you know, as a result. Uh, before we let you go, we're talking to Bill Latson of MLB.com. He's uh, one of the best columnists, lead columnists with uh, with MLB.com. And Bill is with us. Um, we've saved the best for last. Uh, Manny Machado. Uh, I know we've <laughs> talked a little bit about it right at the tail end of the World Series. Um, were you – I'm not saying that you should be overly impressed, but were you at least – it was a good admission for him to come out and start to characterize that he didn't uh, communicate how he really feels that well in that interview with Ken Rosenthal. Yeah, I mean, but still, though, I mean, you still have to be questioned the type of guy he is. Is he going to pull this pull this crap in terms of uh, he's got to hustle at all times, and someone has to tell him that. Yeah. So, so he's going to have to make up his mind, regardless. You, you know, I, I know what, what he said. I know he apologized, but he, he kept doing it anyway. Right, 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 right. So that, 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 that doesn't tell me anything. you got to change on the field. So, so, so I, I hope for his sake that he tells his new employer, I'm going to change. And he better change, or else there's going to be a problem. Do you see the Yankees being heavily in on Manny Machado? No, I don't see it. So you think he could end up a Philadelphia Philly? Yeah, he could be. I mean, I think there's a better chance that Bryce Harper is there in Yankee Stadium than uh, Manny Machado. I don't see it. I I don't see that they have, unless they were able to swing a trade for Stanton, I don't see that they've got the the need or the, the right fit for Harper. Uh, and Machado, well, thing is, I, I think well, the Machado thing doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to me for them. Well, we'll think about this though. Um, Stanton's from LA. He would love to play in LA, right? And I could I could see the Dodgers and the Yankees trying to make a deal, uh, you know, for Stanton. I could see that. Yeah, I could. I could too. I could too. So, but it's so hard you know, to I see. Guess. It's hard to see them making that deal. Unless they really had a deal in place for Puig, you know. Correct. Correct. Yes, it would have to get rid of uh, you know to trade Puig, but uh, Yasiel Puig. But I, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, baseball, unlike you know when we were growing up, it's unpredictable now. So you never know. The reason it's unpredictable is because of salaries now. Yep. Uh, because of prospects and analytics. So I mean. 
you just never know. All right. Uh, Bill Latson of MLB.com. By the way, I just want to say it again. Bill has never really asked me to do this. Bill is in need of a kidney transplant. He has needed one since 2012. He's on the National Kidney Foundation's watch list, but he's got a, a little bit of a complication in that he needs a match with an o, blood type O negative, which is highly rare. Uh, so anybody that uh, wants to reach out to me personally, uh, I will put them in touch with Bill Latson if they have O negative blood type and would be interested in uh, helping Bill. All right. Bill, we wish you, we wish you nothing but a great holiday season and uh, keep living, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thank right. you. There you go. Bill Latson of MLB.com. One of the really, really good people uh, around this game. And uh, uh, one of the things I'm thankful for is having gotten to know him over the last couple years through the bat around. Um, Andy Dolich is going to join us in just a minute, but i got to tell you about the latest edition of Press Box. It's available now on the cover. Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yonda, who had a, a little, like a mini yeah. a craze situation Indeed, on yeah. Sunday when the referees told thought they, they, the game, yeah. they told him he had to leave the game. And then what, what the part I loved was when the, the the Ravens guy tried to touch him. Yeah, he said, don't touch and he, me. Don't touch me. You could hear don't him, yeah. Him. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, the, the piece is with Marshall Yonder, who about five minutes later could be seen laughing with Joe Flacco Indeed, yeah. and a couple other people. He's a great guy. Pro Bowler, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Marshall Yonder, an NFL star, so unlikely he still drives his beat-up old pickup truck, plus our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I uh, college basketball teams, men's and women's hoops, teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. That's right, Big Bats, 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. Whether you're on the way down or back to or from the eastern shore, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch college football, pro football, the Wizards, the Caps during the baseball season, the Orioles and the Nats, uh, and it's simply one of the best places to grab some great bar grub, whether it's sandwiches, salads, soups, or subs, really great place, Big Bats, again, located 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland, off the first exit, just past the Bay Bridge going down to the eastern shore. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page. That's at 
fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at loopleague.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, Respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. And we are back on the Battle Round. We appreciate your listening. If you uh, want to grab us on Facebook Live, go to Facebook, Facebook.com, not Facebook twice, Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. And be sure when you go there to please like us and, more importantly, share us. Uh, and joining us now, our final guest of the morning is my good friend Andy Dolich and... Uh, Andy, I hope your Thanksgiving holiday was a good one for you and your family. It is great. You should probably never introduce somebody with our final guest. Sounds very ominous. Thing. I didn't mean it. Our our last guest of this particular <laughs> show. Yeah. Um, we appreciate your coming on. I, tr- I, I said to you a couple weeks ago, hey, how about coming on talking about the Oakland A's uh, 
stadium situation, and you got back to me immediately and said, let's wait until they actually announce something. Well, they announced something earlier this week about a supposed location at the Howard Terminal, uh, which is one of the spots they've been looking at over these past several years. Uh, They've announced that that's that's the site they've picked. But as always seems to be the case with the A's and stadiums, there seems to be complications with this one. How do you feel about the eventuality of the A's ever playing baseball at Howard Terminal? Well, I talked to another person in the media early in the week, and I referenced the great singer Johnny Mathis. Right. Probably not a millennial favorite, but one of mine. And Johnny has a song... um, called the 12th of never yeah and that's when i think uh ace fans will be seeing a game at howard terminal uh there's a there's a game being played here which we've talked about briefly in the past a which year is ago howard a year ago was peralta poker and now, right, peralta now what's poker it, what's it this, this is this a time? great opportunity for <laughs> comedy riffs in yeah. sports so uh, it was just you know, a little over a year ago where the A's said, great news, we found our place, it's the Peralta site, and there were only two things missing in that announcement. A, they didn't own the site. B, they didn't have a lease on the site. Right. And several weeks after that, the the executives at Peralta said, no, we're not any, we have no interest in a baseball right. park right. on our property. Oops. Um in this situation, uh, it, it is at a very busy working port uh, in Oakland, and the A's have this feeling that since it's closer to downtown than the current Coliseum site, it will be this wonderful, living, breathing, remarkable circumstance like Camden Yards, right. like uh, Denver, like what the Giants have done at AT&T Park and many, many others. However, um, the A's don't own the land. They don't have a lease on the land. Does that sound somewhat familiar, Stan? It sounds a little, um, bit, sounds a little and, like cart before horse. Right. And uh, there's a hidden ball trick here. So if we look at all these baseball analogies, what the A's want is the city and county, city of Oakland, county, Alameda, to give them or to cut them a deal to the current Coliseum site. So as we know, the Warriors are moving to their brand-new billion-dollar arena next season. Right. The Oakland Raiders, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Park, as I call them, mm-hmm. will, be, will be leaving for Vegas sometime in the future. So the A said, why don't you just give us that land, which is prime development land, mm-hmm. so that we can use that to generate the revenue for the money that we're going to have to spend to build this ballpark at Howard Terminal. So they're so they're claiming first of all and also isn't there an expensive remediation of toxic uh, waste there or something like that? Well, there's a company called Schnitzer Steel. Is that a wonderful name? I like uh, it. It's it's been there for 60 years and their uh their job is that they crush metal mm-hmm. and then they send it around the world so you can only imagine what's underneath the earth of schnitzer steel 
which is located somewhere near the infield. I can just see Marcus Simeon exploding <laughs> during the sixth inning of a game based right. upon all the crap right. that's underneath the earth in a working port. Mm-hmm. So in in the A's sort of view of the world, everything is perfect. And in this case, it's not. And even if they have the wherewithal, these kind of circumstances take years. And I'm still trying to figure out the math because when they announced Peralta, they said, we will be playing our first game in 2023. Right. Now it's more than a year later with a site that has 10 times the complexity of Peralta <laughs> and Stan. When are they going to play their first game? 2022? No, they said 2023. 2023, So okay. I don't know if they're dealing with Albert Einstein and the time-space continuum, but there's no way they're playing a game in 2023 at this site. So let me ask you a question. First of all, by the way, the renderings are, you would at least agree, I know you're a little, tad to be, tend to be a little bit on the cynical side, but you would agree that the renderings are lovely, aren't they? I absolutely agree with that, yeah. and so much so. And I'll send it to you later. No, I've seen I've, I've seen them, but I wanted to. You go to Oakland Stadium. No, no, I no, I know you've seen them. Okay. But what I'm saying, I'm happy to announce exclusively on your show. Yes, um, that I have opened up the artist rendering sports venue Hall of Fame. Okay. Of uh, and the A's have at least. 12 drawings <laughs> of stadiums that have never happened. I, I got you. Um, let me ask you this. The, the, did they come out with a suppo- supposed price tag of building the stadium, and would that price include the toxic waste remediation? Um, just saying that, um, you know, sends a shiver down my spine. Uh, Dave Cobble, the president of the A's, has said for the last two or three years that this ballpark, no matter where it was going to be built, mm-hmm. will cost $600 million. Okay, and we know that that's, does, cra- that's yeah. a crazy price. <laughs> it does not, it does not entail any of the additional remediations, the construction that's going to be done to improve traffic flow in that particular area is a choke point. It does not include the famous gondola. The A's hope to be the first (laughs) gondola transported fan team in all of Major League Baseball. Uh And I know I can't wait to take the gondola uh, from downtown Oakland over to Howard Terminal. God, I'd forgotten especially that. since it's especially since it's going over the, the major rail line, exactly. the BART system, in a ten-lane freeway. <laughs> uh, anyway, and let me ask you a question because you have seem to have the details pinned down. They are not asking for a piece of the redevelopment of the the uh, Coliseum site. They're asking almost like for exclusive rights to develop that? That would be correct, exclusive rights to develop it. Okay. All right. So the the purpose of having you on was to talk about something that is actually almost so improbable of a likelihood of it coming to pass. It's beyond ridiculous, isn't it? Well, let's just say this. Um, next year when the Orioles win the World Series, mm-hmm. 
and I come back on maybe some of these boxes on a stadium project will turn from absolute no's to maybes. Okay. How about that? Is there any possibility, though, if Howard Terminal ever does come to fruition, would the naming rights include a possibility of it being Schnitzer Steel Stadium? No, but I did suggest in in a piece uh, that the gondola, the gondola right. should be uh, the first naming rights opportunity. So Golden Grain Granola could do the gondola. So I, I, I think that. that's where they. I think that's where they should go. Uh, Schnitzer that. Field just doesn't kind of have the same magic of Camden Yards or any of the others famous named stadiums yeah, that we I, have from the corporate side. I just think since it's not going to happen, the throwing out an imaginary name was pretty funny, the Schnitzer Steel Stadium. Everybody with logic believes that the Coliseum has been, is, and always will be the best site. How this game plays out in terms of trying to acquire the Coliseum site in order to pay for the Howard site Literally, only time will tell. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question outside of the Bay Area. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles have been owned by Peter Angelos and his uh, you know, partnership group uh, since 1993. Uh, the stadium opened in 1992. It has always been Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Um, assuming that... Ownership without Peter's direct involvement will not have access to exactly the same funding that they've always had while Peter was really the operations head of the team. Do you think the uh, naming rights for Camden Yards would be, A, lucrative, and do you think it would detract from sort of the magic of the place if suddenly it had a bank name in front of it or an investment company in front of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The first question is absolutely yes. The fluid that flows through the veins of sports in our country is green. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of what it does to the mystique, yeah, it would do some damage. I mean, we got Fenway Park, but we've seen so much of the monetization of American sports in ways that we could never believe it could happen. So I would never say never. Um, but there are other ways, hopefully, of generating the money if that's what they need. Uh, the naming rights can be significant just based upon the broadcast capabilities and what a team means to its community. Are we talking in the one-figure millions per year, like five or six million a year for, for 15, 20 years, or could it be even more significant than that? It, you know, depending on the negotiation team that the Orioles have, what they're looking for, uh, the kind of connectivity that it has to other parts of the Oriole operation, you know, you could, you could be looking at a deal uh, of hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars over time. Yeah. Uh, it makes uh, almost too much sense to me. Uh, the Orioles did a remarkable job. I know the city of Sarasota uh, just through the uh, marketing deal that they have with Masson has uh, felt an incredible valuation on, on the deal that they did by investing in fixing up the stadium there uh, and the return that they've gotten for that. 
You know, Stan, you just mentioned something, and and I this has nothing to do with anything, but is there a soft drink called Sarah Soda? No, there's not. But uh, that's well, a, that's can a you and name. I go into it? I think I, we should immediately get the naming rights. I, gonna, I think we could sell it. I like that Sarasota. That's very. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, that that mind of yours is always active, Andy. It never trying it never, to never turns tr- off. Never. The turns alternative off. is not good. Um, you're out in the Bay Area. The other team uh, that plays baseball in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, financially in uh, tremendous shape right now. Are What you observe, what they're about to embark upon, is it a sort of uh, what Jerry DePoto would call a reimagining, or is it a rebuild? It's hard to describe it. The fans are really excited in talking about uh, you know, Farhan Zaidi coming in as their new baseball guru, um, looking at all the players they have. Uh, the talk this week, Stan, was Madison Bumgarner. You yes. know, should he go on the market? Right. Um, you know, he represents the greatness of the Giants over the last few years, as does Buster Posey. But through injuries and the kind of really bad season that the Giants had, um, you see this in all teams. Is this time to break up the gang that we love, or mm-hmm. do we fill in some pieces? So whatever you call it out here in the world of the Silicon Valley and innovation, uh, clearly they got to get more W's, and they're not going to do it with the current team that they have. All right. Hey, before we let you go, I wanted to uh, let you talk a little bit about something that you've been involved with for a while out there in the St. Anthony's Foundation and the One Warm Shirt campaign. Could you tell our listeners and our viewers on Facebook Live a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I helped start this seven years ago, and clearly uh, you are a perfect example. Think about all the sports swag that you have, right? Sweatshirts, um, hoodies, uh, long sleeve shirts, anything that has to do with sports. Uh, Teams that have gone out of business, leagues that don't exist anymore. Right. Uh, friends of yours that said, Stan, you're really important. We'd like to give you this shirt, and it's a quadruple XL. Right. You know, that, that, that they've had to get rid of. So, uh, what we've done with St. Anthony, which serves the community here um, in San Francisco, which is fighting hard times, um, we've created one warm shirt, and this year, uh, we've added uh, a, a double part of it uh, with socks because one of the most significant factors for people that are living on the streets is to keep themselves warm. So um, I reached out to a lot of my friends in the world of sports and manufacturers and others who I know have drawers with nothing but stuff they want to get rid of, especially mm-hmm. during holiday time. So in late January, we have a major event at St. Anthony's uh, lunch, and we give away thousands and thousands of the collected shirts, socks, etc. cetera. Uh, anybody could just look at uh, the St. Anthony Foundation in San Francisco, and I'll give you some additional information which you can pass along to your listeners. Uh, it really is a warm feeling for those of us who are extremely lucky 
and we can make other people's lives a little bit easier at this time of year. Um, since we're 3,000 miles away from the bay, that bay over on the left coast, if someone were listening on the east coast and doesn't want to uh, you know, embark upon an expensive shipping uh, uh, cost, could they send a check? To the, to yes, the Saint and I will I will send you that information to uh, St. Anthony Foundation so you can pass it along to all of your listeners. All right. I appreciate that, Andy, and we'll try and see if we can't raise a few bucks or some, uh, or some swag for you out there. All You're right? a good man, and I wish you and all your listeners the happiest of uh, holidays, and let's light the candles on Sunday night, right? Yep. And one last question. When do you think the last sort of, the, not the last, the next time it would make sense to have an Andy Dolich on the show to update our East Coast listeners about the quagmire out there in the Oakland port area? Well, let's wait until it stops raining. So let's think maybe mid-January, late January, after the holidays are over, when elected officials and people with a lot of money return to town, and they can start tackling all the various complexities at our terminal. Sounds good. Andy, all the, all the best to you. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye, Stan. There he is, Andy Dolich, one of the smartest guys in sports. I always plug him that way. And he's an old friend. Um, what was I going to tell you about? I'm going to tell you about the Costas Inn. That's right. And one of the things we were just talking about, the holidays. The holidays are a great time for giving uh, and, um, you know, giving to charity. But if you're looking to give a gift and you know somebody that loves steamed crabs, but they live, say, in Ohio. Sure. Or they live in uh, – Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or in Mississippi or Florida, and they love steamed crabs. The Costas Inn has a way, a simple way to ship the crabs to them, okay? Hmm. Uh, they ice them up. They put them on dry ice, and they ship them. Um, and uh, if you're interested in talking to the Costas Inn about that, I'll tell you, you would make uh, – I'll tell you where they do – they probably mail the most of them to New York City and to California, I'll bet that's where most people buy uh, crabs, all right? So anyway, the Costas Inn, whether you want crab cakes, crabs, they'll mail it to you. Uh, They do a great job shipping these things to you. But if you are local, specials every night of the week, Monday through Friday. Steak night is Wednesday. Rib night is uh, Tuesday. Crab cake night is Monday, Thursday's lobster night, and Friday they have a whole host of other specials. 4100 North Point Boulevard, and that phone number for the Costas Inn is 410-477-1975. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. 
Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious Boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg profiles six-time Pro Bowler Marshall Yanda, an NFL star so unlikely he still drives a beat-up old pickup truck. Plus, our annual college basketball preview as we break down all of the Division I men's and women's hoops teams in the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listener if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Looply. click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loopleague.com Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs in a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app. If you need help, ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, for the holidays, you're welcome. We are back on the battle round. It is 12.04. We've gone overtime, and we can't afford Kyle Kyle Ottenheimer's overtime bill. So we're going to say our adieus. We again thank all our guests today. Uh, Ryan McKenna, Orioles prospect. Ryan Spielborgs of XM Radio, former major leaguer. Bill Latson of MLB.com. 
and Andy Dolich, a former executive in all four major sports. Tomorrow, will you be in with uh, Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard? I will. For the, I don't think Sarita will be in, but I think okay. Ken and I will be, yes. All right, Fantasy and Reality Show. Glenn is on at halftime with uh, Project Game Day, brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Then on for 45 minutes to an hour after the game with Sarita, uh, Project Game Day. Uh, and then you guys are back Monday through Friday. Are you on? You're on every day this week. Yep. With a whole host of great guests. Indeed. All Indeed. All right. We thank you for joining us. Don't forget tomorrow uh, morning, 1030 a.m. on ABC2 Inside Press Box. Have a great weekend, everybody.